Welcome to the Intercut Podcast, the weekly show going over the TV, movies, and entertainment that people can't cut away from. I am your co-host, Zachary Shevich, and joining me, he's part of Fire Saga, it's Arturo Zurita! Excited to be here, Zach. We got a lot to talk about today. It feels weird because it's like we've had a drought of nothing, really, because everything's been paused, but it's like we're, we're reaching the storm of theaters, maybe... Maybe not reopening. Reopening, then closing. I don't know what's going to happen, but... Uh, yeah, definitely yeah. some companies getting a little bit restless with their backlog of movies and, and figuring yep. out some ways to get them in front of us, whether that's a pay- premium on demand, regular on demand, streaming, uh, CBS All Access, whatever it is. But uh, in a don't little bit, we're going to talk about the new Jon Stewart, the new Will Ferrell. Hey. And a whole bunch of others. First, we just want to make sure you're subscribed to the Intercut Podcast, either the video podcast on YouTube.com slash IntercutPod or the audio podcast available on most podcatchers. Also, follow Intercut on social media, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. We are at IntercutPod. That's at Intercut, P-O-D. That's short for podcast. All right, let's start the show we, the way we started every week here with what we are watching. What you been watching, buddy? So I got two. I'm not sure if you've caught these. And then I know we got two that you and I saw not together, but, you know, in spirit, I guess, at the same time. The first one uh, comes off Hulu, Love, Victor. It's the series based off of um, the movie, Love, Simon. And interestingly enough, you know, many times you have these spin-off series uh, where they're either redoing the entire thing in a show form or it- it's in the same realm, but it doesn't really connect back to the original. Uh, Simon is writing to him throughout the entire series, which I thought was a really dope way of still having uh, Nick Robinson as producer for the series and he's kind of giving Victor advice and I feel the Does story. Does he use his voice? Or? Yeah, it's just his voice so far. I haven't I haven't finished the series yet but it's, oh, it's getting there. I'm on episode seven and like, I, want, I want to continue watching it, you know? Cool. Um, uh, it's very reminiscent of Atypical a bit with the family dynamic. It, it's a Latino family who had to move from Texas to Florida, or sorry, from Texas to somewhere else, but they're no longer in Texas, and like that's completely ruined the family. That everyone's like all up in arms, and on top of that, they're trying to, they're slowly, the kids are slowly realizing why they moved, and within all that is Victor, who's just trying to fit into a school. He's trying to figure out who he is, uh, trying to balance his friends, his girlfriend, his family, everything that's falling apart. And I think uh, some of the criticisms that I had with Love Simon, uh, one of the big ones was being everything that they switched because it was a book medium. And the twists and turns didn't work on screen, so they had to manipulate some things. Uh, right off the bat, Victor's like, Dear Simon, I hate how you have everything so perfect. Because this kid is going through, like, the worst of the worst, practically, at the beginning. Um, but it, uh, I don't think, so far, it's merited being moved from Disney Plus to Hulu, which was one of the, you know, that was one of the first You're things that was in the back of my mind. You're not those adult themes that they talked about? No, I think they, you know, what they skirted on in the High School Musical series, I'm six episodes in, I'm, they could have, they... It, it fit in right in. Uh, the drama, maybe it's heavy, but it's not heavy enough that the kids who are going through it in the show, you know, if that's the age demographic for Disney Plus, this sounds like stuff they should have been hearing. So I, I'm still not at the episodes, and I'm in episode seven, that have deemed it not worthy of being uh, being on Disney Plus. But you know what? Hulu got, a, got themselves a good show. I know it's still all a part of Disney, but Hulu's got themselves a good show. Right. This is something that we did speculate about when the actual announcement was made. Uh, how much... 
they are actually moving how much they actually move yeah. the show from Disney Plus to Hulu because of those quote unquote adult themes versus how much they're doing it just to boost Hulu, given that they're both both streaming stri- uh, networks within the Disney brand. And Disney Plus has kind of already established itself as this place for uh, the iconic Disney franchises yeah. and Star Wars and stuff like that, uh, you know, with, with uh, a whole bunch of things going to to Hulu recently. I think we've talked about how uh, it's looking more and more like Hulu is a, one of the better streaming pl- uh, platforms out there. And uh, maybe Love Victor being on on that on Hulu better for instead of Disney Plus is even more reason to sign up for it. Yep, uh, that is kind of interesting though that I didn't realize quite how much it was going to be like a Love comma sim- cinematic universe. Uh, that they're right? keeping it within the same. <laughs> they're all world. just going to. They're all just going to be writing how to each he, other. Does, how does he know Simon? Uh, they're going to the same school. He has moved to the same school that he's going into. <laughs> okay. So he learns about Simon at the school uh, because they're like really accepting. Uh, end of episode one. No, nah, it's not the same school from the movie. But you know, there there's some things that it plays with here and there. Sometimes it's a little heavy handed. It's not a perfect show, but I do like the things that it touches upon. I think if you're a fan of freaks and geeks and mm-hmm. some of the some of the storylines within the families. Uh, of that show, of Atypical. I think this uh, embodies it well. Another one that I caught on Netflix is, I want to say it's not even really a spinoff, but it's a play on Spike's She's Gotta Have It to They Gotta Have Us. I'm looking at the Do the Right Thing post that you got behind you. And I saw this and I was like, what is this? I was like, is this like, um, you know, because I know that Spike has the movie and then he has the show that he adapted Mm -hmm. for Netflix. And I was wondering if this was kind of like an after show talk to that. Nope. It is three episodes, kind of like a mini documentary interview series of this guy who's sitting down, documentary filmmaker, and he's bringing in all these black voices, all this black talent, and breaking down movies, black people in movies, all the way from the beginning, and Belafonte having to, because he couldn't kiss his white co-star, so he had to cut up a coconut and drink the coconut uh, with her, and that was his way of saying, screw you, MPAA, and just all the hurdles that that, um, that have happened throughout the years with the Oscars. I know we'll talk about Gone with the Wind a little bit, a little bit later, so there's a lot in this series that I could definitely uh, insert to our topic of the week, but I loved it. I think there's a lot to, to dig in there, but one of the best parts was that it's three episodes. And Zach, I have to change it. A couple of years ago, I would always say, I don't want these 20-something TV episodes. I don't I don't want to watch TV that's 20-something episodes. Well, someone listened, and they cut it to 10. And now there's 10-hour, you know, filler episodes to a degree. So now I'm going to cut it even further. This is produced uh, by Array. And just like Ava DuVernay's other project, When They See Us, which is four episodes, I'm now deeming TV shows should be five, three to five episodes long. Because at that point, now I know I'm not getting filler. This is three episodes, three hours. And they give you history, dude. They go through everything. And it reminds me as I see all of these other Netflix documentaries that are like 10 hours long, you know? And you're like, do I really need to sit here for 10 hours? This showed me that you could do it in under three. Uh, So I'm now reducing my 21 episodes to 10 episodes to five episodes because I know y'all could do it. Yeah, it turns out British television had it right all along, no? The BBC, who would have (laughs) thought? Them? What have you been watching? Because I know we also have some that uh, we saw together, some VODs. Yeah, uh, so I caught a film that came out at the end of last weekend, Miss Juneteenth. Uh, I don't know if you got a chance to catch up with that one. I did great interviews from the cast as well. Yeah, uh, it's a really it's a really good story uh, about this sort of beauty pageant that's 
involving all black women. And uh, Nicole Bahari plays uh, this woman named Turquoise Jones who once competed in and won the Miss Juneteenth pageant. And now she's got a daughter of her own who's competing. And uh, through through that, you get these different generations of black women with different aspirations and different hopes for one another. Uh, you, you see the family situation that drove uh, Nicole Bahari to become who, uh, who she is in this film. And I think uh, that performance at the center of it is what ties so much of this together. You have like this uh, resoluteness, this like drive, but like with, with this world weariness being uh, yeah. displayed from Nicole Bahari throughout. Uh, it's such a good performance that ties this together. And I think, uh, is one of those movies that even though it is kind of a small story, just about like the, these women uh, trying to be the best versions of themselves, there's so much context uh, that gets put in there about uh, their, the roles that they can craft for themselves within society mm-hmm. uh, that I was really uh, riveted by this movie. I thought it was very good and that uh, Nicole Bahari's got one of the best performances I've seen this this year. Uh, given that it's been such yeah. a limited year in terms of releases, it's, to me, one of the standouts in terms of leading actress. I think when we get to the Indie Spirit Awards, I think this will definitely get a, yep. a lot of attention there. I agree with you, the main performance, because of all the subtleties. All the back talk that they give each other because, like you said, she was a previous contestant. And when you win, you have this, like, rise to gl- – and then she got pregnant. So then mm. everyone else sees it like, oh, man, I really wish you were able to enjoy your win. But life happens. Uh, I, I think – remember Support the Girls? Yeah. It has, like, that spirit of Support the Girls of, of mm-hmm. the, these women who are in this situation and they're just doing what they have to do to get by. Uh, I thought the performances were really great. There was an interview about the poster – the, you know, the scene where she's mm. just smoking a cigarette outside in her dress and how that just came from them rolling the camera mm. and it wasn't planned or anything. And I was like, you know, that that's like, it's like one of the iconic shots of the movie now. The poster. Exactly. Uh, but no, yeah, I really enjoyed that. And, and I highly recommend, the you know, the behind the scenes. And, you know, may, yeah. maybe Trump was the one who put it in your radar, but just the whole <laughs> everything dealing with Juneteenth. But. Yeah, no, I really like that one. That was a Sundance uh, selection yeah, uh, as well. Yeah, it was at Sundance earlier this year, and uh, I think both of us wished we had uh, caught it there, but uh, it's available now on VOD. And, you know, just talking a little bit about, I think there's a lot of great little small moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm thinking about a moment when she's signing her daughter up to be in Miss Juneteenth, and uh, she corrects uh, when her daughter says about to be to about to be. Uh, and it's it's all about all those, like, little, uh, little nuances in there. So uh, definitely I like recommending Miss Juneteenth. Their dynamic was great, too. Because mm-hmm. it's not like a gosh, mom, I don't want to be here. It leaves. It's like they understood each other. They didn't always agree, but they understood each other. And I thought that was a very great mother daughter dynamic to have that you don't usually see in movies where you kind of have that. Hey, be what I wasn't able to complete uh, when I was young. Definitely not that cliched uh, dynamic. Yep. Uh, a couple others that I saw, uh, Eric Andre, Legalize Everything, just popped up on Netflix, uh, his new comedy special. What'd you think? Uh, <laughs> look, Eric Andre's a lot, right? Um, <laughs> That's one way to put it. Hey, you can't, <laughs> what did they say? You can't spell the American dream without Eric Andre. Yeah. Oh, this is stand-up, um, right? Sorry? This is stand-up? This is a stand-up special for Netflix? Uh, yeah, it's his stand-up special, although if you know Eric Andre from uh, his stuff on The Eric Andre Show or uh, just his general public uh, demeanor, he, he's a he's a guy that does a lot of shock humor, does a lot of, uh, <laughs> like, just stunts in, a, in an essential mm-hmm. way. He, he's almost, uh, a, he's almost a, a similar to Jackass in the kind of performative way. Bad Trip. He, 
Right, exactly. It's got that same dynamic of, like, it's a prank, but it's also just, like, so gross and obscene that you're sometimes laughing at it. Uh, there's a sketch that opens the, sh- the special that's pretty funny. Uh, but in this medium, in this stand-up medium, uh, it- it's less about crafting jokes and more just about, like, retaining shot uh, like cr- coming up with more shocks and screaming a lot of his punchlines like so much of the special is just yelled I-, I don't know it's funny in parts but it definitely is grating I, I couldn't sit through it in one sitting and it's mm-hmm. only 50 minutes long so that's how I thought about bad trip so I- yeah I'll probably Look, if you somewhere. are an Eric Andre fan I'm sure this oh, you is gonna love be for you but uh, I don't think this is gonna convert anybody Aside from that, uh, I also, My Spy is finally out after more than a year of delays. It's going to be on Amazon Prime. Wow. Uh, I reviewed I reviewed this movie for uh, Time Out. It's pretty cliched. It's trying to do that, like, big protector, small, yeah. sassy girl uh, dynamic that you get in, in many different movies, like The Pacifier or The Tooth Fairy. You know, it's Dave Bautista's turn at being child-friendly. Uh, but it doesn't really ever settle on the dynamic that it wa- it wants. Like, is he this super spy who's very charming or is he this, like, dumb lunk that can be outwitted by a seven-year-old? Mm-hmm. Uh, it just never really settles into a groove. Uh, the The elements of him trying to teach her to be a spy aren't really that interesting. I don't know. And it's got that weird thing where it's rated PG-13, so it's a little bit too edgy to maybe be a kid's movie, but it's definitely uh, not, like, complex enough to be a movie a for PG-13. adults. A PG-13. No, that, that's got to... A. if you stick into the game plan, that's got to be PG. How was, uh, right. how was Kristen Shaw? Because she's the only one who made me laugh in the trailer. And she's the only one who made me laugh in the movie. <laughs> okay, well, there you she's go. Got a, she's got a couple of moments that I feel like probably uh, would have worked better in an R-rated film. Yeah. But she's a funny person, so uh, I, I think... She is a little bit of redeeming value, but it not not enough to get me to watch the movie again. Oh, well. Uh, I saw Eurovision Song Contest, the story not of Fire Saga. Not for me. <laughs> Art refused. Art, Art had a chance to. He refused. I had seen another two-hour Netflix movie. I was not going to deal with another one. <laughs> but Zach saw it, and he loved it. He thought it was the greatest thing in the well, world. He wants a sequel. Well, he wants a universe. Well, uh, I wouldn't go that far. I'm a little bit uh, not not into this one uh will ferrell and rachel mcadams and others just kind of doing funny voices (laughs) for two hours uh and it just never really lands for me i think it's a movie that's so selling itself on silliness that never really gets all the way silly the way that like a zoolander or something like that just is bizarre uh the director here is the same guy who did wedding crashers uh a another movie where they just kind of go for a lot of the laughs Mm -hmm. and they, they get very broad in the humor. This one seemed to play it a little bit more straight. Like it kind of was trying to uh, give you this vibe of like the Eurovision contest and isn't the power of music so wonderful, but the music is never funny or good enough to be that interesting. There's like a very bizarre sing along that happens halfway through the film where it just feels like it comes from a different movie. It feels totally off. Uh, I don't know. I just there. There's a few things that made me laugh. Yaya Ding Dong made me laugh, but that's that's really it. Uh, Dan Stevens is kind of doing this weird Russian Kermit opera singer yeah. voice, and I 
I don't know. Uh, it did not add up for me. Alina had mentioned that they were supposed to do some like conjoining uh, marketing thing with it, and they wanted to release it in theaters with the songs and a playlist. Uh, doesn't seem like that's going to be happening. But nope, nope. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's really any music that you'd want to listen to outside of uh, the movie. Which you didn't is even like want to the listen big to it in the movie. Any of these music movies, you know, you you look at like a Walk Hard or you look at like a Pop Star, mm-hmm. and what makes those movies work is that the songs actually serve a purpose. Uh, that they still get really quoted get to this here. day. Yeah, they still get quoted to this day on Twitter. Exactly. Should we talk irresistible? Let's talk irresistible. So, irresistible is the new film directed by John Stewart. His mm-hmm. first since leaving the Daily Show, but the second feature film that Did he leave? directed. Uh, yeah, he's gone for oh, maybe he? six years now. Interesting. Uh, uh, this one is about uh, a democratic strategist who. Uh, tries to help a man in Wisconsin run for mayor and uh, lands this small town of 5,000 people in the middle of a big political race. Uh, It's ostensibly a satire of our current political situation, although I don't know know if it resonates much with Mm -hmm. our current political situation. Uh, There's definitely jokes that will feel familiar about uh, super PACs and uh, uh, voting groups and all sorts of uh, political strategy stuff that doesn't necessarily feel uh, that funny or fresh. Yeah. Especially if you've listened to Jon Stewart during his run on The Daily Show. Uh, I don't know. I I found the characters to be a little bit uh, half-baked throughout this, and I, I just didn't get a full sense of exactly what they were trying to skewer, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I've seen a lot of the critiques. It's because it came from Jon Stewart. Do you think if a different director had handled this, and obviously also a different time when it got right. released, uh, do you think it would have been accepted better? Because like the big I, thing that they're focusing on is like he doesn't really pick a side, which is really surprising. But I guess that's right. like the biggest criticism John gets. Uh, but he makes it the money. He's like the system in general, not a side, but like the system in general and how it's all designed to make money, 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 money is what's hurting everything. Because like these are New York or Washington elites who are coming to Wisconsin to whore out something so that they can then go back and reboost their ego, their profile, their everything back home. Right. And I th- I do think that maybe he brings heavier expectations to a film like this. Yeah. Uh, that the the status that we've given him as this kind of like political genius uh, in terms of his mix of insight and comedy, uh, it just doesn't hold up to this type of story, mm-hmm. uh, which is so it, it's not sharp, you know, it's yeah. it's not it, it's not incisive in a way that a lot of his work on the Daily Show felt. That definitely takes it down a peg. I just don't think that. Even with a different director, there's enough here, uh, whether that's the satire, whether that's uh, the the comedy in general, that really merits the uh, merits the attention. I think what I heard it, uh, it was like, it's telling you everything that you already know <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> to a degree. And just so you had mentioned with Eurovision about the comedy being so broad. Dude, he is making like the world is Parks and Rec. Like that's the world that this is being set in, right? With a lot of uh, throws at real world things, like oh, this is CNN, and we're gonna parody CNN. We're gonna parody Fox News, and they have a lot of things that you're you're supposed to relate to. You're like, ah, I get what this character is doing. It reminds me of the real Republican who did this, mm-hmm. the Democrat who did this. Um, but the range of jokes is like, oh, okay, we're doing this type of stuff. 
oh, now there's like a weekend at Bernie's billionaire coming in in a robo suit. You know, they get they go all over the place. There's um, I call them cameos, but they really are supporting roles that come in. I, uh, N- Natasha Leone comes in as a Topher Grace as and well. Topher Grace. They're both like competing analysts with polls. He believes poll is an art form and she believes that breaching your data and, <laughs> and getting into your computer will literally create a digital profile of you that is true to its truest mm-hmm. form not something that you tell um yes. so there are pockets where it's like ah yes of course right you know a cambridge analytica reference. Cam- cool. yeah different things here and there um but at the same time he's like he's all over the place and i truly feel like i told you right after i had seen it this man wants to be back on the daily show all right <laughs> there is a great ending i'll just say i thought the ending was i, I called it great mm-hmm. I, it's a good ending the twist worked for me the twist worked is it possible? Before you even have the chance to think about it, my man comes in in the after credits. He pulls a vice, if you know what I'm talking about at the yeah, end. He pulls yeah. a vice, and then he comes out in the after credits, and he gets like a, some consultant to be like, is this possible? And he's like, why? Yes, it is. That's it. He explains it all. I think right. Jon Stewart wants to be back in The Daily Show. My man left The Daily Show <laughs> right when it would have been on his prime, but he doesn't want to take it away. He doesn't want to pull a Jay Leno, so instead he's he- making these movies. He kind of has a grand thesis to this yes. movie, but uh, it all comes together a little bit too late. I feel like it explains too little in the beginning, just sort of relying on like, well, this is a reference to something you might know. Maybe you'll find that funny. And then it explains like way too much on the tail end. Exactly. Uh, even even the plot dynamics, it, it just explains it to a degree that we didn't need. Yeah, there's like um, they're explaining super PACs to the people who already get the super PAC, and you know they're just discussing things out loud because it's obviously just trying to describe it to the audience. Which again, that ain't a movie that would work best if you were still on the Daily Show <laughs> doing your the the thing that you wanted to do. I think people who are completely void of everything that's going on, maybe, or who just don't don't care that it's coming from Jon Stewart or stuff. I think they'll find it funny. I think the mm-hmm. movie will work best when it's streaming. But I think he should have released this. Like, remember the campaign? Like, that's that's the era where this movie should have come out. Yeah, um, yeah. It does feel a little bit old-fashioned in, in some way. Yeah. Uh, I don't think it's terrible, it's very, but... It's also kind of just a little bland, you know? Like, it's it's visually bland, and Steve Carell's a little bit bland in it, and it's like... You want to know what would have been better? I wish he would have pushed himself, and instead of covering it from the perspective of the liberal, the Democrat, if he would have had the balls to go from the other side, you know, then that would have been better. If he would have followed in, uh, Rose Byrne's character, who I thought she did a great right. job. I hated her in the movie. Fantastic. Great. Rose Byrne is always great in uh, underwhelming comedies. Yeah. Like, that's kind of her niche right now. Is <laughs> yeah, being literally. really, really funny in movies that don't deserve that funny of a performance. But John, just get a YouTube channel. Because <laughs> clearly you have a lot to say. And uh, waiting four years in between the movies, just get out and say it. Yeah. Uh, we also haven't covered seventy five hundred on the on the channel yet. I don't Let's know do seventy five hundred, and you should have left. I'm not sure if you caught that one either. I haven't caught that one. All right, let's do uh, seventy five hundred. Uh, so seventy five hundred is this uh, kind of confined, horrific drama. I don't know if you want to call it. It's definitely like a thriller. Yeah. Uh, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt. It's kind of interestingly, this is a German production, uh, and and. Uh, the, the the crew and the director behind this is all German, except we have Jordan uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt yeah. playing this American pilot at the center of it. Uh, and it's a very, it's kind of like a uh, real-time thriller in that no time really passes without us following him. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a assistant pilot, a co-pilot uh, entering the uh, cockpit in the beginning of the movie and leaving it at the end. Uh, it, it's 
about a terrorist attack on this plane and the way in which it unfolds is really just uh, it's so tense and uh, minimal, Mm -hmm. you know, for what the plot is. Uh, There's only a few actors that even appear in this movie. Art, what did you think of 7500? Man, I was watching because I hadn't seen the trailer to it. I had known another movie called 7500, also about a plane, also the same number, that came out like back in 2013, 2014. And again, there's like an attack that happens, but that's, it's more like supernatural. Uh, That wasn't that great of a movie. This is a bottle film. I had no idea going into it. I was like, oh, we're just not going to leave the cockpit. And I found Mm -hmm. it very interesting. You know, Um, I don't want to compare it too much to like Captain Phillips, but it has that like, when they have that shot in Captain Phillips where they don't cut away from him, it's that the entire time in the cockpit, figuring out what he's going to do. Is it slow? That's the point. Is it Mm -hmm. dreary? Oh, it's dreadful. (laughs) Like when there are moments where they need to make a negotiation, there is no quick cutting. It is. Put your hands in the air. Put your hands in the air now. And it's like yeah. you're just seeing the dread in their faces. He's, he's trying to grab something, and if it drops, it's very real-world-ish. Yeah, that, that Great real-time progression really lends to how tense it is. Like yep. you, you feel uh, the, the, the wheels turning in his head as he has a limited like, amount what's of he time gonna do? to make a decision that's yeah. literally going to be life or death for uh, people on this plane. And uh, there are certain sequences which are just genuinely hard to look at in a way that I think even uh, some horror movies don't yeah. get out, which is why I call this movie so horrific. It, you know, it's a, it's a thriller, but it, it's uh, really pushing you and really pushes these characters uh, t- to very intense mm-hmm. levels. Uh, you get very intense performances, particularly from Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who, uh, you know, he hasn't really done a lot of acting the, in the last Dude, few years. yeah, I had no idea. very welcome to see him here. He's very good in this movie. Someone said that it's been since, like, 2016. I was like, what's my, what's my man been producing? Is there a Don John 2 in the works or something? <laughs> I like that this is, like, uh, in Premium Rush, when he has to make those decisions really quick. All right. that flair is gone, and it's literally it's it's looking at the camera, looking at this, and what he what he needs to decide to do. Um, I don't want to get too much into spoilers, but out of the people who attacked the plane, the youngest actor, I thought he embodied the emotions just as well because they really start playing off of each other um, during like a long sequence. You're not going to feel great after the movie, no. but it does its job, which is uh, a great performance from Joseph Gordon-Levy, and it builds the tension to a degree where you're when you're, when it's done, you're happy. You're just happy the whole situation has been resolved in yeah, whatever it, way it's resolved. It's one of those movies where you just kind of tense up, tense up, tense up, and then by the end you can it's finally effective. let out a sigh. Although it's like not, yeah, not exactly a pleasant yeah. experience. I would recommend it just as a exercise in like a bottle thriller, like you yeah. said. Uh, it, although it's, you know, not going to be for everybody. Mm-hmm. Never, definitely not for the faint of heart. Uh, and it's on Amazon, I believe. Yeah, Amazon Prime. Uh, and then you said you saw You Should Have Left. Yes, I saw You Should Have Left, the new movie by uh, Mr. Cope, who did Secret Window. He's also, you know, written stuff like Jurassic Park and different things like that. He's done a lot of thrillers and mysteries in the past, and this one stars Kevin Bacon, and it also stars Amanda Seyfried, who does not play his daughter, plays his wife. And throughout the movie, it's pretty much like a haunted house thriller, while at the same time, um, a lot of the articles were saying this, it's, it's a... A Me Too horror film, but I wouldn't really call it that, considering we did see great Me Too horror films at Sundance. Right. Uh, this is more so, he, there's something in his past, because he, he himself is playing a writer, so I don't know how much Cope is getting <laughs> really into it, because this, yeah, this is the second time it's a writer gone crazy. But the relationship between him and Amanda uh, starts getting more and more intense when you realize some of the stuff in his past, and people who 
some allegations that he may have. And when they move into this house, uh, it's almost like he's being he's being haunted by the house, which is practically a metaphor of him being haunted by his past. There's a lot of interesting uh, production design that happens because the house is almost like a, it feels like a house within a house within a house. Uh, there's lines here and there that may fit the world's world. But it's interesting if you were to like quote him, for example, Amanda Seyfried is trying to explain the situation of what everybody believes the father did, Kevin Bacon, to the daughter. And the way that she explains it to her is like, well, listen, you know, some people just hear information and that's all they'll ever hear and never question it. And, it, you know, it's like interesting lines like that. I don't know what Cope has coming up or something, but uh, it's got an interesting ending. And it's one of those movies where if it's on streaming, if it's streaming, I think you will enjoy the the thriller aspect of it. If you were seeing it in the movie theater, I think you'd be more nitpicky about like, I don't know how this fits here or how the world uh, resembles itself. There's a couple of movies that I would uh, mention, but I think it would really spoil it. Mm. But it takes plots. It's very similar plots to other movies that we've already seen do this. And that's all I can say without really spoiling it. Yeah, this is another Blumhouse movie. And it's a Blumhouse uh, movie. It, would you would you say that it's uh, one of their... Def, I mean, I don't think we're going to say it's like the elite Blumhouse movies considering they've got stuff like Get Out in their resume. But yeah. Is it good Blumhouse? Is it mediocre Blumhouse? If Get Out is the one that you go to the theater to go see and um, uh, what's the Fantasy Island is the one where even if it was streaming, it wasn't good. This is the one where if it's streaming, you go, thank you. We can, good, we can get good streaming movies, you know? Yeah. That should be the quality that they're aiming for because even the even the cast and crew were like, yeah, I think it works better at home. <laughs> I think Cope said that himself. He's like, I think it works better at home. You can maul over it a little bit. And I do I do think it works better at home. It's very rare that I say that as I'm talking in this episode about how I'm switching from 21 episodes to 10 to 3. My whole rating system is done now. It doesn't make any sense. You know, we don't really rent anymore. We don't go out to to boxes like that <laughs> theaters are closed i can't even give anything a combo price so everything really is a stream and so now i gotta vary the type of stream it's that it is uh, right. but this would be one where at least it's on that level where if it were to drop that friday i think people would want to discuss it I, I think there's enough to discuss there even if it isn't a great horror movie if even if the hmm. topics that it's talking it's not the most profound thing and even if the twist that you see you've seen better in other movies it's still solid it's a lot it's middle of the tier when it comes to all the blumhouse movies all right, all right. Uh, so that's mostly what we've been watching. Uh, I don't know if you wanted to talk about uh, anything that we've been reading, something that we uh, wanted to discuss on the show mm-hmm. but didn't get a chance to in an episode yet, uh, was this piece on whether or not virtual theaters are here to stay Yes. Uh, by Vadim Rizov and Filmmaker Magazine. Uh, I thought there was a lot of really interesting things that the article uh, lined out, uh, talking about how many art house theaters are now showing more movies than they have screens. Uh, consequentially, mm. uh, you know, because uh, these f- different theaters, art house theaters, often are limited to you know only two or four screens. Uh, because these are virtual showings, you can have a greater array of movies, potentially have more selection for audiences. Uh, consequentially, a movie like St. Francis, which uh, was Great on movie. over 200 virtual theater screens, it gets a much wider release because more theaters can carry it. Uh, Kino Lorber's CEO said that we want virtual th- the third virtual theatrical model to be successful, but not too successful. So far, Kino is making 40 to 50 percent more than they were pre-pandemic because of their success with this virtual theater uh, model. 
Uh, Oscilloscope released St. Francis, and that's earned over $100,000 in 10 weeks. Only two movies that Oscilloscope put out in 2019 earned more than that. So again, uh, some evidence here that the virtual theatrical model can be uh, something that is financially successful for Mm -hmm. these independent movies. Uh, But on the other hand, Monuments film, new film Alice, only earned $5,000 in its opening weekend over 58 different virtual theaters. Uh, So there is an elite crop and maybe like a smaller crop for some of them. Uh, Virtual theaters are also seeing a fall off, something like 40 to 50% less revenue than when they were first announced, uh, whether that's a ramification of the weather or maybe some drive-in theaters opening up or just people having different financial priorities as we extend further and further into Mm -hmm. the uh, pandemic situation. Uh, It remains to be seen like what ultimately the impact of a lot of these virtual theaters are going to be. But uh, Art, how, how, sustainable do you feel like the virtual theatrical model is going to be do you feel like we'll uh, continue to see it for for years so it's interesting that all the ones that have done that virtual theater thing right have Mm -hmm. been independent movies Mm -hmm. the big studios that would have released stuff in amcs and regals they have been trolls it's been the movies we had just mentioned which aren't virtual theater releases those are vod rentals and when we do our like monthly wrap-ups at the beginning of the, of, of the month to talk about what's coming out we were separating the virtual cinema releases from the vod releases as a consumer it's the same damn thing right it's it's you're online and you're watching a movie online and you're paying for it the difference is is that one has the studios getting all the money whereas the other one it's it's an independent smaller studio that's doing a split with theaters a, a lot of the times um and that's the one thing that I think will be a positive in the future, because one of the big things that they were pushing for all this time, you know, since the entire time we've had Intercut, is how do they balance releasing a movie on VOD and at theaters at the same time? And theaters didn't even want to hear it. They said, right. absolutely not. You know, Blumhouse originally made Blumhouse Tilt, not just to make different types of genre, you know, within the horror uh, realm that they have, but those were also supposed to be playing with the distribution model. They were supposed to be releasing the movies like six weeks after they were in theaters and the theater said, no, we want our three months. Damn it. Independent movies, theaters are now seeing the benefits of it because of what you said. There is what sometimes 32 different screens at an AMC, depending on where you are at a big screening. The music box has one theater and a little side one, right? right? So they can only play two movies. So if there's a, a good crop of independent movies that are coming out, not only one are you dealing with the fact that you can't play all of them, you're also dealing with the fact that you can only play one so many times. Mm-hmm. Film fans, as we've talked before, AMC Regal's in the business of, of making popcorn, selling popcorn, a, uh, music boxes, and you know, name them, Angelica, IFC Center, they're in the business of creating community, uh, uh, yeah. film lovers around themselves, and they would be the ones where I don't think it would hurt. I don't think they would have that that universal mindset, that that um, AMC mindset of, uh, no, you have to do exclusivity periods or else people, we can't trust people to some of them come to the theaters and some of them stay home. You can. It would be the independent movie goers. They would be willing to watch a movie at home, but still go, you know what? No, nah, I don't want to wait for that. I want to go see that in theaters. I have friends who always come over and they want to go see a movie at the music box, you know, mm-hmm. to be at the music box. And... I think the opportunity to be able to still have digital sales come in will benefit independent theaters more than the greedy, you know, big universal ones that uh, knew it was going to affect them a little bit worse. 
Right. I mean, we, the the theaters that are doing this partnership uh, with the virtual theatrical model are I the like ones it. who really need this revenue a little bit more. They're yeah. The, they're the non-corporate theaters. Uh, they're they're the art houses. Mm-hmm. Uh, and because of that, they're also catering to an audience that's maybe a little bit more uh, willing to take a chance on a random foreign film that uh, it doesn't have the big press uh, that some of these movies that end up playing in AMC's or in Regal's do. Uh, I don't ultimately I'm curious to see uh, when things start to return to normal uh, how much this revenue will still be how much of this revenue will still be meaningful Mm -hmm. uh, and whether or not they're going to try and make some alterations that way I think the number one impact that uh, we're going to see ultimately is that uh, the virtual theatrical model makes it easier for people from far and wide Anywhere. to see these movies that yeah. were at one point only really available to people in New York or Los Angeles yes. or people in major cities. Yes. And I think that's something that uh, hopefully these theaters will learn from that if you can allow somebody who doesn't have access to a movie theater for a hundred miles or something like that to check out, uh, you know, the wretched or something like that, they, they will hop on that opportunity. If you give it to them, we will have physical movie theater. We'll have, we can go to the music box or we can go to the music box online. Yeah. That's what I think it's going to end up becoming. Every movie theater, just like the studios that are creating their own streaming services, will have to have a digital profile of some sort. And, it's only a matter of time. I don't know what they're taking so long. You know, maybe it took this virus to really push them into it. But uh, I think giving people the option, especially when you yourself only have a limited number of screens, I think it'd be very beneficial. It just depends on how they integrate it in. So we'll see. Another piece that I wanted to talk about was Ryan Fogner's in the L.A. Times talking about how coronavirus is going to make film shoots more expensive mm. uh, because there's going to be all sorts of new stipulations when uh, different companies go back to shoot, when Jurassic World attempts to make its new sequel. Uh, they're going to be hiring sanitation crews, <laughs> uh, which is going to also uh, eat into budgets. Uh, we're going to see... Uh, possibly different crews working in shifts to minimize people on set. Something like if the set dressers go to decorate a room and then production would wait even up to a couple days before going into that room so as to minimize the amount of people in that space at once. Uh, There's been talk of intimacy coordinators for actors worried about transmitting COVID uh, and figuring out ways around that for for kissing scenes or what what have you. Uh, Also, shorter work days so people can stay healthier and all the additional hours that requires possibly additional crew, which will uh, definitely add up to a lot more money, uh, which also won't be recouped as easily if movie theaters aren't at full capacity. Mm. Uh, So, Art, what do you think about... Uh, the potential pitfalls as movies, as uh, productions start to go back to work. You and I always talk about this, um, and I I do want to end it on the good side of it, so let's start with the bad. Like you said, it's going to cost so much more money for these productions, and with that comes creative costs, you know? Oh, did you want to do that? Sorry, well, we got to spend the money over here, so now you won't have those extra days to shoot. You won't be able to Mm -hmm. shoot it the way you wanted to, get the actor, whatever it is. Uh, But on top of that, will you even get greenlit the movie? Will the movie even get greenlit? Sorry, because that's been one of the biggest things that a lot of independent, smaller, minority filmmakers have been saying. If it's always been, oh, we're going, we don't want to risk it. This Mm -hmm. over here is something people know, and it's for sure. Then everything that people have been working for, no, let's get these stories be told. We don't want to risk it on Saturday, it's too expensive. So at that point, as producers, as the people with the money, you're only picking the projects that they deem worthy. 
or Hollywood has already kind you know? of eaten away at sort of like the mid tier movie. Oh. Uh, you know, it's it's mostly movies that are like thirty million dollars and cheaper, or the hundred million dollars and more ultra big budget films. And those huge big budget films like the Jurassic Worlds mm-hmm. or whatever's up next in the Marvel uh, canon, they'll be fine. It, those will definitely still exist because those are going to be big money makers. Uh, but it's those ones where, like, uh, we looked, we we were talking about uh, Greyhound, the Tom Hanks movie mm-hmm. the other day. That like fifty million dollar movie where where maybe if you have to spend an extra ten million dollars on it, it, it doesn't. Uh, it's harder to justify the cost of making it right now, at least. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's the ones even cheaper than that, where will they even be able to afford the additional crew necessary to have this operation be successful uh, in a safe way? Uh, and on top of that, it's where they film, you know? Netflix is getting away with a lot of good stuff because they're filming overseas in certain mm-hmm. locations. I was like Iceland or Greenland, where they were like, I mean, there ain't no one here. No one's spreading anything. It's just land. Go do whatever yeah. you wanted to do. And they're able to film now. So is it going to vary on locations now? We, right. I think Jimmy Cameron you know? is uh, safe down in New Zealand. He's good. Oh, he knew exactly where to go, right? But every big business is saying, you know, Bezos wants to leave Seattle. What's his name? Wants to leave, move Tesla somewhere else. It's the same thing with movies. You know, that's the reason why you get a lot of TV shows in Chicago. It's the reason why you get a lot of the big productions down in Atlanta. So with this new landscape, that's also going to vary where people are filming or what they're going to be able to do. Yeah, Positive-wise, more jobs, maybe, depending on mm-hmm. how the sets are made. I, I hope, Hopefully it doesn't diminish the amount of projects and stories that are told. But we've always joked about that idea of like, oh, when you film on digital, you know, it's not the same as when you, di- uh, when you shoot it on film. Not so much the aesthetic, but the work, mm-hmm. the, the work ethic of it. Because on film, you have a certain number of, of takes you can do. Hey, well, we're back to that to a degree, you know? So if anything, maybe it'll it'll make a tighter production. Um, the director of Zola, Janisa Bravo, had talked about a pitch, which would have been instead of like, you know, the regular film day where everyone comes and meets and they go home, it would be a bubble type shoot. And she had referenced some other movies that have done right. this. And there's a name for this type of filming where everybody, it's like a youth camp to a degree. Everybody mm-hmm. goes and stays on location, the set, the where, whatever it is. So then everybody eats together, everybody works together, and no one's transmitting anything. Are they living their families? Yeah. But it also creates a... a, a, a to a degree, a much tighter set, a much tighter cast, a yeah. much tighter crew. Well, I think that's how, so like, we'll you know, when Game of Thrones goes to shoot in Iceland, yeah. I don't think anybody is, like, flying home to their families True. at the end of the day, you know? So uh, definitely that seems like a more inter- interesting alternative. Mm-hmm. Uh, although, you know, there, there are obstacles to bubbles, as we are seeing as different sports leagues try to reassume. Uh, so, you know, it there'll be a lot of... Uh, Trial and error, I believe. It's going to be an interesting uh, year. Like, it already has been. But we're still in the pause period, you know? We're still in the pause period. So it's going to be very interesting to see uh, when who's going to be the first to try to do something. We do not know. Uh, but let us know what you're watching in the comments on YouTube or by shooting us an email. The address for that is intercutpod at gmail.com. We're going to move on to a quick year and a where we break down the latest happenings in entertainment, starting with Lin-Manuel Miranda revealing that of... Hamilton's three F-bombs, they've chosen to censor two of them (laughs) in the upcoming Disney Plus release in order to get the much-coveted PG-13 rating. Uh, Lynn said he did it for the kids, but Art, yay or nay, uh, you're a fan of censoring in order to get the PG-13 rating. Y'all should have put it on Hulu, nay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... 
I understand the reasoning behind it. I probably some people at Disney would have uh, balked at the idea of it getting an R rating. I get that. Although I it, don't care. Yeah. The dude, those are like in the songs. They play mm-hmm. a part. To his defense, he did say that you could just uh, queue up the cast album on Spotify or something and, and stream it simultaneously. Yeah, should I go take the, the book your... when I'm watching an adaptation and be like, oh, well, I guess I should have had the sort? No. Yeah. It's not the worst thing, but meh. Yeah. It does strike me as a Disney decision as rather than a creative decision, which is a little bit uh, well, frustrating. Yeah, and but... we're going to talk about this later, which it just leads the way to manipulating things in a way where it's for profit instead of creativity. And if you do it here, how many more times are they going to do it for other things? Yeah. Michael Keaton has been approached to pick <laughs> up the role of Batman once again in Warner Brothers and DC Comics' upcoming Flash movie. He's also in talks to reprise the role in several DC-oriented projects, serving as a Nick Fury type of leader. Art, yay or nay, you want to see Michael Keaton don the Batsuit once again. Why not? Why not? Like, I'm not even mad at it. I just, I'm so confused about the Flash project because I, I, you know, I remember it was the director of Dope and then something switched out there. I still don't even know if this is the one that's going to keep Ezra Miller. They're saying it's going to be a part of maybe Snyderverse, but it's going to be its own thing like they've already done with other stuff. I have no idea, but I like Michael Keaton. And this yeah. man is like in three different <laughs> super, superhero properties at the moment. Birdman 2. Give me Birdman 2. Might as well at that point. <laughs> Yeah, you're you're more of the comics expert than me. I don't know what the precedent is for having Batman as this kind of like older father figure, Batman Beyond uh, leader. Uh, th- what I thought of immediately is Batman yes. Beyond, one of the few Batman properties. I don't that play. I'm I don't play with that. <laughs> uh, if they got some kind of like multi generational hey, Batman thing going, go. that sounds cool. But I I I'm a fan of this in general. I I like the idea of uh, treating this as a greater cinematic universe and. Uh, I think he would serve as a, as a good, uh, you know, founding figure if they are trying to do some kind of greater vision. Uh, he, he's, he's yeah. like, like a Samuel Jackson or, or a uh, Robert Downey Jr. I think he's on that level of uh, charismatic. Well, Marvel just brought back their J. Jonah Jameson. Right. Right? So, ah, it's interesting. We're going to get a Marvel-DC crossover watch. They're just dealing with multiverses. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen? Yeah. Many movie theaters are set to reopen in July with AMC theaters at first saying that uh, they would not be requiring guests to wear masks and then being pressured into requiring guests to wear masks. Uh, Alamo Drafthouse put out a defiant statement saying they would require guests to wear masks, but then in the fine print didn't mention that they wouldn't require guests to wear masks while eating. So, Art, yay or nay, you will be attending a movie theater this July. That's a pretty loaded question. (laughs) As a film critic. As a film critic. As a person who has to see movies and, and speak on them for the people. Well, you see, I'm going to take everything you said, right? But I'm also a Nolan fan, and I kind of really want to... <laughs> you know, I didn't get to see the last one in in, in, in IMAX. I'm going to go again without... Every single time Nolan comes out with a movie, they're, they, Navy Pier is closed down. Be it for fixing the screen, be it a damn pandemic... Uh, I don't know. Now, luckily, I don't have uh, the pressure that a lot of our other critics have where they're Mm -hmm. writing for a publication where, you know, you can't be adamant about telling everybody else in their professions to be, you know, take it seriously and don't go out. And now it's your turn to make the decision of if you're going to go out, if you're going to be there and then have to tell an entire audience. This is a combo. This is go to theaters five out of five. Go see Nolan front row. Um, 
I don't know. I'm very curious to see how it's all going to play out. Before Nolan's movie comes out, there's going to be a lot of re-releases. Um, mm-hmm. So I'll wait to see how social media and everybody's embracing it. But to be honest with you, if I, if I can. That's what we're here for. I might just rent out an entire theater. I might just go on a $5 Tuesday, buy out the whole, because I don't have to buy out the whole theater. I just have to buy out mm-hmm. ha- every other row, every two seats. All I'm saying, <laughs> I might do that instead. Peace of mind. Yeah, I, I'm not going into any indoor theater uh, anytime. Come over here, soon, we'll incubate. We'll incubate. We'll, we'll block out all the three <laughs> o'clock showings throughout the week. Uh, you know, we're. I think we're lucky enough that there's a lot of stuff that's coming to streaming. There is. Whether it's video on demand, premium video on demand, streaming. We we Netflix, whatever. Exact, but it's uh, not Tenet. Plenty of content it's there. It's not Tenet. Uh, you also, know it. Also, there's new drive-in theaters that are popping up all yes. over the place. So that's I what I hope they fix. Getting that information I have, too. But the drive-in uh, theaters want to charge you forty dollars a person, and it's like no. Look, man, I'm I'm gonna pay forty dollars if I can see Tenant as long as I don't have to do it in the same small room with p- other people while they cough. Alina like, can pay the have forty. Have you ever like I sat in, in a movie and not heard another person cough? No, I sit next to Alina. She she has a cough all the time. <laughs> what are you talking about? That that's our biggest worry is that they're gonna be looking at us because she just has a cough. Like, I, yeah. and a lot, I'm sure a lot of reviewers know this. They are hating this period of time because a lot of people do have coughs. Yeah, and you know they're the ones who get the death stares just for it. So yeah, I know. Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, we'll I, see. There's a lot of stuff happening. I'm not that desperate to get back into a movie theater, uh, but that's about it for yay or nay. Uh, we'll hit some more news topics next time, but be sure to send us a question so we can answer the intercuties queries. Send us a question by leaving it in the comments on YouTube or hitting us up on social media at intercutpod. Or again, you can email us intercutpod at gmail.com. We're going to head to our last segment, the new to see where we give you our picks for the week art. What are you recommending? Um, I would say watch Love, Victor. Like I said, I'm six episodes in, really enjoying it over on Hulu. Nice and short, 20-minute episodes, 20-ish. Um, I think that one's pretty good. But I would also say, because I'm re-watching season three of uh, Insecure on HBO, because I know season four wrapped up, everybody was talking about it, the president liked it. So I'm really I'm really excited to go uh, catch up on that one, because it's really good. Rewatching two with Alina and three, I was like, yo, this, yeah, this show's fantastic. So those are my two, Love, Victor, and Insecure, if you have not caught up on the four seasons. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm going to recommend The Last of Us Part 2. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm like two hours into it. What do you think? Uh, I mean, I'm watching Caitlin play it, but I'm in, I'm enjoying that I, as a movie. I can't watch Alina play it because she refuses to fight. She refuses to fight zombies. <laughs> She'll play Uncharged, play anything, but she hates zombies. And granted, mm-hmm. those Last of Us cutscenes, like when you die... They're really, really horrific. Yeah, they're and I, unpleasant. And I die a especially lot. Especially so. <laughs> to see them happen again uh, and again and again. Yeah, I was like, I like playing video games right before I go to bed. I get all my work done in the morning, and then I'll just play the video games at night. I cannot play that. I literally cannot play that at night. But uh, yeah, you liking it so yeah. far? Uh, yeah, uh, it's it's. I mean, I, th- I love the way in which it's presented and uh, the seamlessness that it goes from gameplay into into movie. And I just think it's a, a well done story. I'm I'm excited to see what Craig Mazin ultimately does with it. So yeah, yeah I'm into that. Uh, I got a couple podcast corner recommendations. I got one do, too. Like, Please hit me with yours. Zach's I got one podcast for you. Corner. So my first podcast recommendation is Wind of Change. Have you heard of this one? I have not. What's it about? Uh, so it's the new one from Crooked Media as well as Pineapple Street Media. Uh, it's kind of about the band The Scorpions. You may know them from that song "Rock Me Like a Hurricane." Here I am. It was I think in a rock. Now band. we're copyrighted. 
Um, I think Wind of Change is actually a more known song, although I, I wasn't too familiar with it. Okay. Uh, a lot of people credit it as being part of the inspiration for the fall of the Berlin Wall and the end of uh, communist Europe. And uh, it helped bring a wind of change through Eastern Europe. Uh, this po- new podcast alleges that it was actually the CIA that wrote that Scorpion song, uh, which quite an accusation, not one that anybody's going to talk about on the record, but they hmm. do try to sort their way through different uh, CIA agents talking on and off the record and various members hmm. of the touring group for okay. the Scorpions and their tour manager. It's, it's a really interesting podcast just sort of talking about espionage and Soviets and secrets and stuff like that. So uh, I really enjoyed that that one so far. Wind of Change, oh. definitely worth ch- uh, checking out. And the other one is HQ Boom or Bust. Tell me about this uh, one. Yeah, uh, you played HQ back back in its heyday, didn't you? And I lost a little bit. Lost one time, never went back to it again. <laughs> okay, I lost regularly. I played quite a bit. Uh, HQ Boomer Bust is from the Ringer Podcast Network. Alyssa Bereznik hosts it. Uh, it's a really interesting podcast charting the. Uh, meteoric rise and meteoric fall of the HQ app, the turnovers and CEOs, the uh, squabbling with its host, Scott Rogowski. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, it was a very tenuous behind the scenes situation uh, with this app that just shot to stardom and then fizzled out uh, just as quickly. It's a really well told story. I'm enjoying it so far. So HQ Boomer Bust is my uh, second podcast corner recommendation. But uh, what would you say in terms of podcasts worth checking out? What's what's your recommendation? Uh, I have this one called Land of the Giants. Hmm. It is pretty much the I think they had like a couple. They had a whole run talking about the rise of Amazon. But the new one that they're covering is Netflix. Um, oh, yeah. right, this one, yeah. And the first episode that's out, at least right now, like they're sitting down on how they were able to beat Blockbuster and how they made all the decisions that they made investing money, how they got House of Cards by investing more than they were supposed to and doing so by not even telling like the big boss um, how Netflix had everything open and everybody could see how much they were making and it, how they just pretty much disrupted everything, which, as we know, Netflix did. But as we know, Netflix buys stuff to this day that I don't even know that they could afford. They don't even check the price tag. They just go, who is it, Marty? Okay, we'll get it. Uh, I found the first episode to be really interesting. I'm going to go back and listen to all of their Amazon ones because uh, just looking at the titles of what happens when Amazon leaves the city. or what, It sounds like right. a very interesting uh, introspection. Um, and it, I'm wondering if they're going to do other big ones, you know, because Amazon has a streaming service. Netflix obviously is the one that they're covering now. And I'm curious to see as we're entering this world of so many other streaming services to see what else they cover. But the Netflix one is really, really dope. And it was on Spotify. And I am 100% of the belief that Spotify is one of the best places to go watch or listen to podcasts. It's really smooth. I usually listen to my podcast on Apple Podcasts, but I'm I'm not going to lie. Spotify is pretty dope. Yeah, Spotify making that uh that play in the podcast circles. Cool. But, uh, a couple big purchases recently in yep. the podcast game. So we'll, they're we'll buying see. like Netflix. Mm-hmm. All right, so yeah, uh, Land of the Giants. Shout to Zach Mack, the producer on that one. Uh, but yeah, uh, so there's a few podcast recommendations to check out. But I think that's about all for this week's show. 
You can catch more from me, Zach Shevich, by following me on Twitter, Instagram, or Letterboxd at Zshevich. That's Z-S-H-E. V is in Vadim Rizov, I-C-H. And check out my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash multiplex show. Art, where can people find more from you? You can find me at LME Explain or the A to Z Show on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and um, maybe a theater next month. I don't know. Uh, but you can catch me nice, safe, quarantined, clean here on the Intercop Podcast. You can listen to every episode of the Intercut Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Spotify, or your favorite podcatcher. I like Overcast. And then make sure you're subscribed not just to the audio podcast, but to the video feed as well on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash intercutpod, where you can catch our bright, smiling faces as we break down the latest in entertainment. Find new episodes of Intercut every Friday. Please leave us a comment, like the video, and consider heading over to iTunes to leave us a five-star review. Shout out to our listeners who do that. It really helps. Like our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages. All of them are at IntercutPod to get updates throughout the week from Art, from me, from all guests that we feature here on Intercut. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, I only want to hear Yaya Ding Dong. I wish I... Actually, I don't even wish. I don't want to watch it. (laughs) 